What's up, Bayfica Nation? Welcome back. We're here this week, and it is episode four this week. Episode four, Mr. Bayfica, Paso Doble, Paso Doble al Puerto. That's right. Uh, those of you who may remember back in uh, the first the first half of the season when uh, our team was fined for for playing the Paso Doble over the over the loudspeaker after beating Porto. And uh, some of you may know I always refer to them in uh, as Puerto rather than Porto and for obvious reasons. Um, so uh, that's why I named the episode that this week. It was a Paso Doble, meaning in the context I mean it, <laughs> you know, the sweep. We completed the sweep against Porto. And... Let me ask everybody, did everybody stroll into work on on Monday <laughs> as cocky as I did? Uh, let me tell you, that was one of the best weekends last weekend that I have had in a long time. I mean, I was smiling ear to ear all weekend. There was uh, nothing that was going to bring me down last weekend. What a match. What a match at the Stadio du Ladron. They tried to do it again. I told you guys this last week, and I mean, I was hoped I was wrong, but there were there were stonings. There was stones thrown at a bus. There was a var made itself known again. The and I saw on Twitter, I someone called it rather than the VAR. It's the VAP, the Video a Porto, and it made itself a uh, a factor in the game again. And uh, they got away with another one, but. Let me tell you, we knew these things were going to happen. We knew that it was going to be difficult. We knew we were going to be playing against more than just the 11 on the field. The boys kept their heads the for the most part. <laughs> for the most part, all right? Ten of them did, at least. But in the, at the end of the day, the job was done. We played fantastic last Saturday, okay? Befica come out of the Stadio do Ladron with a 2-1 to win. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, our Benfica are top of the table. Great to be here. TGIF, so glad I'm here. I've been waiting all week for this. I've wanted to talk about this all week. I've listened to all the podcasts out there. I've watched the YouTube videos. Let me tell you guys, there are a lot of independent Benfica content creators out there. They are phenomenal. Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, whether it's podcasts, it's YouTube videos, it's blogs, search for it, it's out there. There are so many people doing such a good job right now. Um, I want to give a couple shout-outs because this was the first game where I somewhat <laughs> was tweeting during the game. I hadn't used Twitter in, in years until, really, until last uh, Saturday during this match. That was the first time I really engaged in Twitter, but the way I watch the game, guys, I, I, I hyper-focus. I watched it with my dad and with my son, which that in itself was was special to see my my three-year-old jump up and down when Rafa scored. He saw Daddy happy, he saw Vo happy, so he jumped up and down, you know, he knows something special there. Um, I watched it with them, but I really, when I was done between trying to tweet and watching the game and conversing. I went home, guys, Saturday after the game. 
and I put the thing on again. I watched it again. I watched it another time on Saturday just to see what was happening. Um, so much, so much to cover in this in this week's episode because so much happened in this game. This was this had it all. I mean, yes, our team won, and I'm happy. But regardless of who you supported, I don't think you can sit there and deny that this was a a great match and uh, the. The neutral that would have tuned in just to see a a new uh, to see the matches a neutral I think took home uh, a, a high level of entertainment from this game. It had it all. Like I said, the storylines, the narrative, it was all there. The rivalry, there was uh, you know the two coaches, the different the different behaviors, the different attitudes, the different personalities. It all played itself out. The two teams playing two different, distinct styles. There was, uh, you know, the main catalyst in every Portuguese football match, the referee. He's always the star of the show in that league, uh, unfortunately. And while I don't think Jorge Souza failed, if I were to grade him, definitely was in the middle of things. Some of it was unavoidable. Some of it, I think, was mismanagement on his part. We'll get through it when we go through the game and go through all the the occurrences. But absolutely had everything. You had goals. You had cards. You had scuffles. It had it all. It was a true rivalry game in every sense of the word. You had everything you wanted from a rivalry match. Two teams that... Uh, Really tried to to play to their strengths. Um, Porto, big, strong, tried to intimidate Benfica. Smaller, quicker, calmer on the ball, tried to control the tempo. Both teams tried to, to play to their strengths. I don't think either team really was able to hit their full stride, which... It was a constant struggle for both teams in different ways, and I think that's what made it such a good match. You also had a full house, and one of the rare things that happens in Portugal, it only happens in the Ladrão, in the Alvalixo, <laughs> in uh, the Pudreira up in Braga, and in Guimarães, where Benfica go in as the a true away team and as a villain. Our 2,500 fans were loud, though, weren't they? I know I heard them all game. Yeah, Sport TV won't put their cameras on them, but they were they were big in that game. They came up big. And like I said, this game had it all, and I can't wait to dive in. Stay right there, guys. We're going to come back with the news shortly, and after that, we're jumping headfirst into Football Club do Porto, Sport Lisboa Benfica, the Clásico from... Round 24 of the Liga Nage. Stay right there. Don't move, guys. I'll be right back. Força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora, nós somos o eterno abrigo 
Episode 4, Mr. Benfica, it's time for this week's news. And there's not much news this week outside of what we're going to talk about in the main show, the main show today. But um, there were a few things that came up this week. Uh, here we go. Barcelona, Manchester United, and Juventus are all promising to compete for João Félix. That's right. It's been reported through various media outlets that those giants of European football are prepared to pay the exit clause for the young 19-year-old Portuguese uh, forward attacking player for Benfica. Um, Benfica has set the clause at, I believe, $120 million. I really want to see that, that exit clause raised. Um, United also rumored to be going in for a package of Ruben Dias and João Félix. We'll see what happens. Uh, obviously, nobody's going to be sold until the summer. Will or will 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 João Felix or will he not be at the U twenty World Cup this year? That remains to be seen. Uh, naturally, you would want him there as, along with Jota and and with Florentino Luiz. However, I believe the world the U twenty World Cup begins before the end of the Liga Nog season and. Befica cannot afford to let these kids go if that's the case. Um, unless they can work out something where they join the team there at the end of the season. and uh, uh, Or if Befica can, you know, be in a comfortable spot where they can actually let those kids... They can't let them all go. The, the roster's just not deep enough right now. So maybe if everyone comes back from injury and, and the team doesn't miss a beat. But... Um, that's going to be a developing story in the next several, you know, weeks in the next two months to see whether or not which or if any of these kids are going to end up representing Portugal at the U20 World Cup. If they're there, let me tell you, Portugal have as good a chance as anyone to take home the World Cup uh, under 20 for the first time since 1991. I want to see it, but not at the expense of Benfica. Also last week, Benfica B dropped another game. They lost 2-0 to Cova de Piedad in the Ledman Pro Liga. Um, 
Krovinovic was in the starting 11 for Benfica B that day. And that obviously would... Um, we expected that. That had been reported. Because that basically told us all that he was going to play yesterday in the U- in the UEFA Europa League, which he did. And we'll talk about that game a little bit later on. Um, it was a little bit of a, a damper on the week, I think. But... Um, Krovinovic did get some minutes on the B team, and then he did play yesterday. So, also, Befica were revealed this past week as the hot, one of the as the highest selling team in world football of the last decade, if I understood the report correctly. And I believe Football Club de Porto was actually second, right behind them. So, uh, Be- the Seychelles really, um, really bearing fruit right now. The president, like we said last week, has said that they're in a position where they don't have to sell anybody. They don't have to be. They don't have to, be coerced into selling anybody. We'll see what happens, but um, that's a lot of profit. If I'm not mistaken, there's something like double the profit that Porto in number two has. So, that is really all we have this week. Also, a few other tidbits here stateside with ties to Benfica. Andrea Orta was not in the team for LAFC in their MLS opener last week. I don't believe he was even on the bench. Um, Los Angeles FC, LAFC beat Sporting Kansas City 2-1 to in a you know opening day matchup between two of the favorites in the Western Conference. And Benfica Loney, Keaton Parks, was subbed on late in uh, in the game for New York City FC in their 2-2 tie against Nani and Orlando City. Um, notab- notable because I read it on between social media and in press. People noticed Keaton came out wearing his first name on the back of his shirt as he had been doing since arriving in Portugal a few years back when he played for Verzine. When he played for Benfica, he always wore his first name, Keaton, on the back of his shirt. It looks like he's still wearing it at NYCFC. That's really all the news this week. Everything else is related to the two matches that we're covering tonight. The Clásico against Porto. And then we'll touch a little bit later on on the Europa League game in Croatia against Dinamo Zagreb, which was, ladies and gentlemen, the... Topic of my Twitter poll this week, if you didn't catch it, I'm going to be putting up a poll every Friday, or every Thursday night rather, into Friday. Um, The results are in, the poll just closed, and uh, my question was, does the loss to Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia put a damper on our win in the Classico last Saturday? Um, Thank you to everyone that participated, I want to thank especially all the people that retweeted it. I got a lot of help from some of the other more established uh, Benfica platforms out there between the blogosphere and the podcasting world and the you know the YouTube uh, world. Uh, big thank you to the ladies from Azagiaj. They retweeted this for me. Thank you, Carol, Cynthia, Mariana. Um, thank you to the boys from Benfica after 90. Let me tell you before I read the the poll results. If you haven't watched Benfica after 90 yet on YouTube, I'm telling you guys when the game is over, go to YouTube, search Benfica after 90, go on Twitter, look them up. They'll tell you when the show is airing. I watched it 
Okay, I watched tonight's episode, or last night's episode, I watched tonight, I should say, in preparation for this, for recording this show, and to get a better, a, a better understanding of what went on yesterday in Croatia, because once again, as I have complained about before, the Europa League is not on television, at least not all the matches, and Benfica are not being televised in the United States, um, Unless you're so you subscribe to Bleacher Report Live, that's the only place I think that you can find it legally right now in the United States. So I didn't get a chance to see the match. I watched their post game. I watched their post game after the Clasico. Guys, these three guys do a better job than Sport TV. There is no question. Fantastic, fantastic post game show. Cheers, guys. Mario, Alex, Dylan. Thank you, guys. Also. They read, I had submitted a question to them on last night's show. They read it on the air. Um, I had asked them if the loss to, no, excuse me. I had asked them if it was time to uh, to stop risking in the Europa League. I had asked if, it was, if the Europa League was worth the risk of injury after a Seferovic injury yesterday. If you guys don't know, Seferovic came out of the match very early yesterday. We'll talk about it towards the end of the show when we talk about the 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 Dinamo Zagreb match. Um, I asked if it was worth risking our first stringers in this competition with the league so tight and with no room to spare. Um, they gave good answers, all three of them. Um, Mario gave the answer that was closest to how I feel. Um, check it out. Listen to it for yourself. I don't want to misspeak on their behalf. They did a great job. Go ahead. Um, go over to YouTube. It's Benfica After 90. Get the most recent episode and just watch it. it Fantastic work, guys. Thank you for the support also. Thank you for the retweets. Thank you for uh, dropping my my hand, uh, my Twitter handle on your show. Um, they did that for me last night. I picked up a ton of fo- you know, a ton of followers, got a bunch of of downloads and listens today to, to past episodes. So thank you to both of you. Thank you to Benfic After 90 and to Azagish. Also, go to Azagish. Okay, download the podcast, watch it on YouTube. Their episode last last week after the Classico was also absolutely phenomenal. It was a bilingual episode. I, I loved it. It was one of my favorite um, episodes of Benfica content that I have listened to, watched in a long time. The girls did a great job. They also have, for those of you that watched the Three Tugish podcast, they had Bruno on. Bruno is the Portista. He, he fills that role in the Three Tugas, who, who are like an English-speaking trio d'attaque. Um, and I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the man credit. Bruno got up there. He was on. He was also on Benfica after ninety last week, and he 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 did the rounds, <laughs> and uh, you know gave good analysis. Um, I agreed with with some of. I understood where he came from from a Porto perspective. Really enjoyed hearing that actually where they're coming from, and. Um, uh, check out the show. I'm telling. He he took some, he took some tough questions, but he handled himself well and uh, gave good answers and showed a lot of a lot of class on both of those shows. Uh, so thank you to both of those shows. Uh, it was great to get the exposure from your more established 
or in front of your more established audiences. Um, and yeah, I, I'm I'm grateful for the support and this Benfica this Benfica community uh, of content creators is very uh, very warm, very welcoming community. Like I said last Saturday, I was on Twitter. Really, the first time I'd engaged with anybody on Twitter using uh, this Twitter handle at Benfica Mister. So go to Twitter now and follow me if you're not already at Benfica Mister during matches. When possible, I'm going to be interactive. Um, not to the point where it distracts me from watching the game, but I will I will uh, interact with people. Um, I was interacting with those guys. I was also interacting with Brian. Um, Brian Lige is the name he uses on Twitter. Uh, another English-speaking Benfica content creator from Bermuda, I, I believe. Uh, had some good exchanges. Had some good exchanges with a bunch of different people. Nothing but love in the Benfica community. It was a great time, and it is a match that, like I said, I will never forget. So stay right there. We're going to pay a few bills right now. We're going to roll an ad, and after that, we're diving in to the Classico. Don't move. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back. back guys uh here we are we're gonna get right into the classic but before we do let me give you the results of the twitter poll that i didn't get to in the last 
segment. So, thank you again to everyone that participated. Like I said, I got a lot of help with some retweets from some more established content creators out there. Very grateful. 78 of you voted tonight. That's a higher number than I expected, so I'm very happy with that. 78%. Of you said no, this lo- the loss to Dynamo does not <laughs> in any way damper the victory at the Classico. I am also in that school of thought, still smiling ear to ear today. All I had to do this morning <laughs> was uh, was playback that halatu you just heard from Antena <laughs> from the game. Listen to the listen to those goals and and the smile was back on my face. Um, Memorable, absolutely memorable win at the Stadio do Dragão. It's maybe the third time in my life I remember Benfica winning there. The other one was a few years back when Lima had, I believe, two goals when we won there. And way back, 2006, with Nuno Gomes scoring two goals in uh, in the Stadio do Dragão. That's the last time we swept Porto. Um, so it was great to get that victory. Um what a match. So much to talk about in this match. Like I said, there was so much going on. It was such a... The storylines were, were through the roof. Let's start off with a little bit of background to the match, okay? So, there was a lot of background. As you know, you, you know how the Portuguese media works. You know how... Uh, how the newspapers build these matches up throughout the week, how the TV builds it up. Okay, I had said on the pod last week, the things to, I had predicted golf balls flying. Fortunately, that didn't happen, but pretty much everything else did. Uh, Benfica's bus attacked upon arrival. Um, a window went right through the windshield, um, the front windshield. Uh, not a surprise. Unfortunately, it's becoming par for the course every time we go up there. I don't understand how these pol- how police in that city cannot prevent this. We're just a few months out from l- having to reschedule the entire second leg of the Copa Libertadores final in South America. It's no surprise that Fernando Madureira and some of his Super Dragões were in Buenos Aires that day. They were with the River Plate supporters. Who stoned the bus? That got that match cancelled and postponed. Eventually moved all the way to Madrid. Who was throwing stones? It was the River Plate. Um, it was the inches from the River Plate. And Fernando Madureira, the leader of the Super Dragões. And some of his Super Dragões were in the stadium that day in Buenos Aires. Decked out in River Plate uh, garb. They said they were there to support Quintero. Sure. But... Um, I don't know, it doesn't take a genius to connect the dots and to see, you know, it's, I'm not kidding, when I saw stones flying that day, back in December, on Fox Deportes, watching, trying to watch that final, that the whole world was trying to watch, it was exciting, what did we see, I see a a bus window break, shatter, okay, match cancelled because players had glass in their eyes, all right, I said my first reaction was what what is Buenos Aires Porto are these and then it took an hour before social media showed a photo of that Fernando Madureira okay and those super dragões <laughs> at the Monumental in Buenos Aires supporting River Plate no surprise I'm not surprised it happened here either it's it's disgusting the PSP the the 
Polícia Segurança um, de Portugal, something along those lines. I don't know what I'm, the acronym at the top of my head. Um, I can't remember what it stands for. It doesn't matter. They failed again. They can never secure safety for Benfica when they go to that damn stadium. Fans were not secure. They canceled the train because they couldn't secure any. They couldn't secure the train stop. They couldn't secure the 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 walk from the train to the stadium. What are these police? Is everybody in that city afraid of Pinto da Costa still? That's a frail old man. Are they afraid of the Super Dragões? Do they have that big of a crime ring that they got the police? You know. Also, it seems like the judges are afraid of, of when Porto does something. The league is afraid. We said last week Befica were fined for flashlights, for cell phone flashlights. I'm still not hearing any kind of punishment for for stoning. And I seen, you know, they go on TV and they say these are isolated incidents. These are not organized incidents. Okay, I w we weren't born yesterday. These things happen over and over and over and over again. This is um, the end of my rant about this. But, again, this, this brought hostility into the match right from the beginning. Um, kudos to the 2,500 Benfica fans that were there. They really take their safety and, to some extent, their lives in their own hands going into that stadium. It's sad. It's disgusting to say that in 2019. I know I'm not going to sit here and... And be ignorant and say that Portistas don't face some of the same security risks traveling to the Stadio de Luz. But it does not... I don't recall at least stonings and I don't recall the same kind of intimidation and the same kind of uh, aggression happening in the Stadio de Luz. Um, maybe it does happen. Okay, You don't see it as much. Some would say it's because... <laughs> They they think Befica controls the press. They call it the red press. It's a it's a term you hear in the English language Portuguese American soccer community for anti Befica's the red press. Um, I don't know, but you bring that in. There was also some background in the pregame presser. Okay, the day before, Sergio Conceição pred correctly predicted Befica starting eleven. Um, not to anyone's surprise, I correctly predicted Benfica's starting 11. Um, I had to stretch to come up with any dubita, any doubt in last week's prediction. I Whether it was going to be Samaris or whether it was going to be Florentino Luiz, it was, if I had to put money, I'd say it was going to be Samaris, and good thing it was. Samaris was, was fantastic in this match. Um, but, you know, and then Bruno... Lige asked about it, and he says, well, that's easy. And, you know, it's not like Benfica have other starters right now that they can that they can put in, really. At this point, we got the guys we got. We're dealing with some injuries. Um, I think we made a mistake in January letting both forwards go. Well, again, this will come up later when we talk about the Europa League, but um, we're, we're very thin now in some positions. So, but, yeah. Sergio picked, predicted it correctly, so that that was a talking point before the match, and you know, um, it was a tense affair. I was a little surprised. I thought Porto were gonna play a little more reserved, being the more experienced team, being that they had the lead 
in that they were um, they didn't really need to win as not that Befica had to win either. I think Befica would have uh, taken a tie. I would have taken a tie and kept it at a one-point lead, which was essentially, like I said last week, a half a point because Befica would have won the tiebreaker at that point. It's neither here nor there now as uh, we did win the match. So let's get into the lineups. And uh, since myself and Sergio Conceição guessed it correctly, we'll start with Befica this week. Odi in goal. Uh, Grimaldo's the left back with... Ferro and Ruben Dias as the center-back pairing. Andre Almeida, the captain on the day. At right-back, Andreas Samaric is in the number six uh, with a, I guess, six and a half to an eight, depending on the situation of the game. Gabriel um, in there with him. Rafa Silva running down the left flank with Pizzi manning the right. Up front, the usual pair of uh, forwards, João Félix and Haris Seferovic. Porto starting line 11. Now this is where there were some questions I talked about last week. Would we see Militão play on the right? I had said if so, you know, the key matchup was going to be Rafa versus Militão. It turns out I think Sergio was a little concerned about that matchup as he opted to go with, with elsewhere, opted to go not with with Militão. Ika Casillas, the undisputed number one in goal, the former World Cup winner um, and multiple-time Champions League winner in goal for Porto. Uh, Wilson Manafab gets the start at right back um, over Militão. Philippe and Pep are the center backs, and Alex Telge is the left back. Uh, four across the midfield, Tecatito Corona down the the right side. Oliver, a key guy, I had said in the lead-up, a key guy for Porto. Oliver and Herrera in the middle with Yancini Brahimi running down the left flank. Okay, Up front, the another little bit of a surprise. Um, much to everyone's shock, uh, the horse placenta worked, the special Chinese treatment. Miracle recovery for Muasa Marega. He started up front with Adrian Lopez. And that's the 11 that you've got from Football Club do Porto. Little surprises. No Tiquinho Suarez. No Eder Militão, like I said. Um, no Danilo Pereira. He's just coming back off an injury. Um, again, the center back pairing of Pep and Philippe. And it's going to come up. I'm going to get into it. Pep is a key, key catalyst, um, a key character in in the story of this match. He gets the start over Militão. It's interesting that since he was brought in, he he mans the center back with Philippe and the all-world center back that was set to go to Real Madrid just a few months ago finds himself now on the bench as Pep has come into the team. Let's go into the match now as uh, all the drama has you know, proceed, that's preceded the match is done. We're going to go right in and look through the happenings of the match. And so, uh, ahead of that anxious, anxious environment in the stadium, um, an absolute spectacle. The teams come out, and the Porto Anthem is blaring. The TIFO is up in the stadium. 
Porto are all holding up white cards, making the stadium look like a sea of white with uh, blue smoke. And you see unveiled uh, the Super Dragões unveil the the Sergio Conceição Tifo with Sergio Conceição, I believe, Hector Herrera, and if I'm not mistaken, it was Brahimi uh, being unveiled on this giant, absolute giant uh, tarp, giant sheet showing the the portrait of these three men with the Sergio Conceição uh, portrait pointing to the Porto emblem on his sport coat. Um, pretty pretty cool. Even you know, even as a Benfiquista, I'd say that there was pretty cool scene. Uh, kudos to to Porto for that that display. The Tifo was very good. It's something that in Portugal we do very well. Um, we do it better than in most places in Portugal with the with the tifo. So the players come out, and you have the you have the you know the pregame handshakes, and the match here in the United States is on Goal TV. So the announcers are once again Alejandro Figueredo and Omar Fuentes. Uh, Porto's got a lot of graphics and a lot of displays showing their logo for the one hundred and twenty fifth anniversary of the club which most people know is a fake founding date um up until 1988 portus was advertised as founded in 1906 uh pete Bacosh apparently found a newspaper article saying it was founded in 1894 if i'm not mistaken um yet they didn't play their first match until 1906 but hey they had to find something so that's the date they go with, and they can have it. <laughs> um, very electric atmosphere. Porto comes right out flying. Okay, I'm going to give them credit. They came out. It surprised a lot of people by coming out looking to get up early. And uh, right off the kickoff, there's a long direct ball that puts Benfica under pressure. And there's an early turnover, which leads to a, a brilliant shot. I'm going to pull it up right now because it was it really had Benfica on their heels right off the bat um, the long kickoff like I said we lose it there in midfield the ball comes to looks like Oliver who just tags it or was it, it was Alex Telsch save from Vlako Um it was Alex Telsch yep and he drives a low hard shot from way out but Vlako Dimas makes a nice save the fourth minute you see Marega get in he gets by Fer, who drives across, but Ruben Diaz does a good job uh, protecting the ball as it goes across the face of goal. Doesn't let Adrian Lopez get to it. Um, the ball's cleared by Andre Almeida. But the game continues. In the first 10 minutes, um, Georges Souza just calls play on on literally everything. There were... <laughs> there were tackles, there were body checks, there were kicks. Everything was was uh everything was was free play. In the first minute, Befica almost scored also. After Porto nearly scored, Befica goes down the other end and Grimaldo walks in, but a nice last ditch slide from Pep stops the uh the chance and keeps the game tied nil-nil. Uh in the 15th minute, there's the first bit of controversy in the Porto penalty area. Pizzi appeared to be pulled down by Manafa. Um, no call. 
I can live with the no call, no check of the VAR. That I still don't understand why sometimes they go to the VAR, other times they don't. We've seen it. Um, it just seems like against Porto, they don't check the VAR if there's a doubt because then they know they have to call it. It, it really appears that way. I'm not trying to sound like a conspiracy theorist again. Like I said um, in the beginning of this show, when I first started this pod, that this is that it, I'm determined to not let that be a topic. Um, neither VAR nor referees I'm keep it on the on the match. So fast forward about a minute later, Ruben has the ball. He passes to Rafa. What may or may not have been a foul by Oliver. Oliver has a, a knack for for getting involved in in winning the ball these ways. But the ball ends up on Brahimi. Brahimi uh, Brahimi will carry it through quite a bit of space, probably twenty thirty yards at speed. And he's brought down right at the edge of the box by Ruben Dias. Um, yellow card, deserved yellow card for Ruben Dias as he takes Brahimi down. That leads us to the free kick in the 16th minute, 18th minute to be exact. You've got Adrian, Lo- Adrian taking the free kick for Porto. Initial free kick is blocked by the wall. The wall seems to hold its own. Seferovic actually heads the ball, manages to control it, to see it the whole way and, and get a head on it and actually direct it. Unfortunately, goes right back to Adrian. Adrian hits it first time. Um, it looked like he might have been crossing it. He might not have been crossing it. The ball the ball ends up going by Vlakodimuz and into the goal. Um, right away, any Benfiquista is looking at it like, hey, some, you know, you the hand is up. There appears to be a player offside. Okay, um, right away it looks like Pep is offside. The first, the first images that come through, it was too hard to tell. It was too close to tell. Um, they're also not very good on Sport TV, who produces the video, at freezing right on the frame where the ball leaves the foot. Um, interestingly, this one they froze frame it when. Adrian's foot is still it's still cocked back and still coming forward. It hasn't even made contact with the ball. The ball has not left his foot yet. And they're freezing it there, showing Pep onside. Again, uh at first it looked to me like, well We'll see you know, at first it said if he if that ball if he does not that ball does not get deflected, then I I can't tell. It's too close to call. I understand the goal, the goal uh, standing. Um, hard to tell, but Omar Fuentes, the color commentator, says right away in Spanish. He says, "Es posición delantada y no hay duda. Para mí no hay duda. Um, es obvio. Ay, vamos de polémica ahora." That's what he said. I'll translate that for you. He says, without a doubt, that. There is a delantada, an advanced position. He said that's term for being offside. He says he has no doubt. For him, there's no doubt. It's obvious, and now we have controversy. Is what he said. This he says this after the goal is allowed. It wouldn't be until later, but again, this is inexcusable, and I'm sorry. Can't get around talking about the referee of the VAR on this play. At first look, I I said okay, it's a goal. It's it's he looks offside, but he's not. 
and we can't get a good freeze frame of where the ball leaves the foot. However, at the time, it wasn't even mentioned, but this ball hits Marega on its way to the goal. Okay, there's no doubt about it. 100% certain that ball redirects off Marega. You watch this in slow motion. You watch it. It's, you can see the spin of the ball and the trajectory change. Okay, you know it hit him because that ball is going directly for for um, Vlako Dimas. It's going right into Odi, and he he's set to to catch it. Okay, this ball changes direction. Why? It becomes clear. When you watch the video that Marega redirects the ball, whether intentional or not, he's he's on side. However, at the time it hits him, Pep is now a good, a good, you know, 30, 40, 50 centimeters offside. He is. It is now there is clear daylight between him and the defender. Okay, Pep is is offside now. There is no question, and he absolutely is involved in the play. The, these commentators protect these referees so much okay there's no way saying he's not in the line of sight the man has to duck down to get out of the way of the ball that means he's involved in the play if he does not do that that ball hits him and does not go into the goal therefore he is in the play i tweeted this and it got retweeted by by timo who is also a common listener to a lot of the benfica shows um, those of you that listen to the other podcasts, to the other shows, you you know you've probably heard he he provides a lot of uh, listener questions, listener feedback. He retweeted it, and that I stand by that. The fact that Pep has to get out of the way of the ball, okay, says he's part of the play. The doubt I had at that time was whether or not he was offside. Once you see that that ball deflects off of Marega, he's absolutely offside. And once again, if there was no VAR, I can understand how you missed this. With the video replay, there is no excuse for missing this. Okay, there is absolutely no excuse for missing this. This goal belongs to Marega. It's still given to Adrian on the score sheet. It shouldn't. This goal was scored by Marega. But again... They give Marega the goal, then guess what? Then it's clear that Pep is offside. So this is one of the first um, instances where Pep is a key, a key character in the in the narrative of the match. So Porto are up one nothing. Um, the place is going nuts. They're playing that annoying pitbull song, and the crowd's going along with it. And I thought the song was annoying before. And now it's uh, it's twice as annoying. Um, the f- few minutes later, we're in the twentieth minute. But if you could try to get an attack going, and you see these stands, the Portistas are jumping up and down. The three Pedros are going nuts. They're in unison. Pretty awesome scene, actually. I know it's it's our rivals and it's the other team, but if you're a neutral man, you you know you're watching a big game at this point. Uh, 22nd minute, Casillas makes a huge save on PZ. PZ kind of puts it right at him. Good good little play there. And the camera cuts over to the sideline. Bruno is just sitting stoic. He doesn't seem phased. He doesn't seem worried. He doesn't get excited. It's something about this man that's just so even, even keel, even just completely balanced in, in emotionally. Um, anyone who who played for me or who's seen me coach knows 
I get a a little bit more fire. I get I get more fiery than that. I'm shouting instructions. I'm I'm jumping up and down. I'm uh, almost as if I'm in the stands sometimes when that ball a play like that where we walk in it it, it gets an ah out of me, you know, because that's that's just the personality I have. Not brutalized, calm and cool as can be on the sidelines. Um, 25th minute, short corner played. Ruben Diaz gets his head on it, but the ball goes straight up into the air. And uh, seconds later, Casillas comes off his line and stops Peasy on another breakaway. Okay, and now we come to a key moment, and this is the video I have up on my screen now. And I'm going to play it slowly so that I can tell you exactly what happened in this in this sequence of events. Okay, and then I'll go to to my analysis of the play. All right, and I I've got the YouTube feed up obviously. There's no video component of this episode. But essentially what happens here and Portistas are letting him off the hook for this. The blame for this has been on Adrian, okay? And I disagree. I just watched it again and as I watch it and play it over and over for me, for me Iker Casillas makes the first mistake, okay? Adrian is checking hard towards his own goal. Okay, he's coming from the left center of the screen, okay? Diagonally towards the top right of the screen. All right, he's coming hard, and Gabriel is hot on his trail. Iker Casillas should see that pressure in behind. All right, Benfica's following him. That ball should have been knocked over, in my opinion, what I like my goalie to do in this situation. Rather than give what I call a hospital ball to my to my checking midfielder who's checking hard, okay? He's checking hard towards his own goal. I like to use him as a decoy in that situation to bring people with him and open up space in behind him. You've got fast forwards, okay? He's got Marega in in behind, who's a big, strong forward who can get on the end of it. Iker Casillas decides to play a pass on the ground to to Adrian, and he plays it to the foot. Okay, this is another key thing. He plays it to Adrian's right foot. Okay, where where Gabriel is is coming from, and again, I'm playing it again, and I'm freezing it. And Adrian has to play that ball with his right foot. That ball is played too far to the middle. It's played towards where the pressure's coming from. Okay. Once he plays that ball on his right foot, uh, his first touch is towards his own goal, and Gabriel is now in better position than him. Gabriel takes the ball. Okay, um, that ball should have, at the very least, been played more in front of Adrian towards his, le- so he could have received it on his left foot, so that that first touch is away from his goal towards towards uh, the open space, and he's got a teammate I'm looking at right now that's open. I believe it's it's Tecatito, it, uh, Jesus Corona, who's known as Tecatito in Mexico. He's he's open there between two, two Benfica players. Neither one of them is marking him. If Adrian is able to receive this ball on his left foot and face where he wants to go rather than having to come in, receive it on his right facing the, essentially his own corner flag, um, Gabriel does not get to this ball if that's the case, and he's playing Corona in on a counterattack. Instead, the ball comes to the wrong foot, in my opinion. And Gabriel, maybe I'm being too hard on Casillas, but this is a world-class goalkeeper. 
Um, he, I think he needs to be better with his distribution than this. Gabriel wins the ball. I'm going to play it through. And he's got it. He loses it to, to Manafa, but Manafa is also coming hard towards his own goal, okay? He's, his positioning is facing his own goal in an attempt to win this ball. He wins it from Gabriel, but takes a heavy touch in doing so. That heavy touch brings it right into the path of Seferovic. And Manafa is out of control. His, his body's out of control. He bounces off of, off of Seferovic because he's off balance. Seferovic plays in a nice ball to João Felix. And in this play also... Another guy who gets no, who's really being let off the hook by Portistas, from what I've heard, whether it's from Bruno or it's from the guys from uh, a Coupe do Cavani. Um, Pep is off the hook. He he seems to just get a pass because Pep in in this goal. I'm backing. I'm gonna back it up again, and I'm gonna tell you exactly where Pep is during this goal. He's Pep is taking off as his teammates are losing the ball. He's coming square with Adrian. Okay. And there's no way for Manafa to get the ball to to Pep where he's standing. Where he's going, I don't know. Okay, He's putting himself in a straight line with Manafa and with a Benfica player. Uh, sorry, in a straight line with Adrian, who's still stumbling and getting up. And with a Benfica player, Manafa, can, there's no way he can get him the ball there. All he's done is left Philippe alone in the back. Okay? So now, so now Pep is tracking back hard. He's trying to get to João Felix. He doesn't get there. He has to turn his body all the way around to try to get a foot on the ball. It ends up going behind him. Felix has the time to just to look up and place the ball right by Casillas. Befica equalize the 26th minute. Brilliant goal from João Felix. And what did I say last week, guys? I wanted to see this guy score in front of the Super Dragões. Yo. <laughs> it happened right in front of the Cur- Curva Super Dragões. I'm reading their t- their you know their Tashas right now. Uh, uh, Fashas, I should say. I'm reading it. <laughs> he scores right in front of him. The kid does a two-knee slide just like I was hoping for last week. He looks at them, doesn't point to the eagle, but he looks at them, makes that eye contact. And maybe the best part of this was by the time he's done sliding, Rafa's already gone in the goal and picked up the ball. Rafa grabs him by the arm and says, let's go, kid. We haven't done anything yet. We're not here. We're not here for, for, for a draw. He grabs him. They run back to their side of the field. They put the ball down. Befica have drawn level. Porto fans, have, uh, the air has come out of the stadium now. This is, you know, the third time, if you go back to the Tasa de Liga game, where Benfica, right after or shortly after a Portugal Befica equalize. Yeah, one of them was taken away in the Tasa de Liga game, but again, Befica answer. They answer goals with goals. There's something about this team um, and the way they've been playing. They give up a goal and there is no panic in them. They just go on and they they tie the game right back up. Um, so my notes on this goal is a poor play from Casillas. I'm I'm putting blame on him. He's the experienced goalkeeper. He's got to have the vision. He has to see how hard how hard uh, Gabriel is chasing down Adrian. And like I said, he played the ball to the wrong foot. I know it sounds 
nitpickish, but at this level, you have to know which foot your teammate wants needs to receive the ball on. You can't make that mistake at this level. Okay, not in this type of a game. Okay, um, and then, you know, Marafa commits what I call a cardinal sin and taking a heavy touch towards his own goal in the defensive third. It ends up being a nice goal. Um, Felix puts it calmly on the ground past uh, Casillas to his left. And Felix, this is a stat. I know Cristiano on the Benfica podcast said he doesn't want to hear it. Um, it lacks context. Maybe he's right. But <laughs> Felix already has more derby slash classical goals than Jonas. Uh, this was his third in, in three appearances. He is uh, quite quite a goal scorer this season. And I made a note that Pep was out of position because perhaps unlucky to be out of position because maybe he was coming up trying to help uh, his teammate. However, he was in position where a triangle was created where the ball, where Marafa had the ball. Marafa might have been able to to one-touch it towards him. You really don't want to do that in that situation, a one-touch towards your own goal. However, he would have been able to provide better support had he not started coming up the field. Um, probably didn't expect his teammates to lose the to lose the ball like that. Um, but he finds himself out of position, and Philippe is, is left in no man's land at that point. He's too far away from Felix. Pep does what he can, like I said, to get back into position, but he overruns the pass and tries to reach his foot back, turn his whole body around. He's out of, he's off balance. He's out of position. It gives Felix plenty of time. And right now, in the matchup that I also highlighted last week, the Felix and Pep matchup, Felix has the upper hand to start off. And the 28th minute, all you can now hear is Ale, 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 Benfica, Ale. Ale, 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 Benfica, ale. Coming from the 2,500 Benfica fans in the sea of Portistas, uh, worry setting in among the, the blue and whites. Uh, 31st minute, Pep. <laughs> Pep makes Felix pay for his goal. I mean, the whistle's already blown. The ball's coming in the air. And Pep takes sends a knee into Felix's ribs, okay? After the whistle, there is... Not even a mention from João Souza or the the assistant referee. It's as if it didn't happen. Pep gets away with one. Uh, he gets away with absolutely nailing the kid. In the 32nd minute, Benfica starting to lose possession. Okay, Benfica up to this point, between the goal and this point, we're we're playing very well, controlling. Even I'd say to some extent dominating. However, they're starting to lose it a little bit. Um, they're starting to miss some passes, and Porto is now starting to get some of their own counters. We talked about the danger of Benfica's counterattack. Porto has a heck of a counterattack themselves. Okay, and they're starting to get them. Um, in the 39th minute, here comes another Pep again, the catalyst, okay? Uh, the ball, it's over near the left touch line on your screen, and... Um, and on the on the pitch, the left the left sideline, the left left touch line. Pep takes the ball down on his chest or pops it up on his chest, and João Felix comes in with the high boot shore, but he does not come near. He does not come near uh, Pep. He drops his foot down, makes sure that there's no contact made. Okay, um, Pep throws a dive 
he the head the, the mind games are beginning. Pep is the experienced the experienced veteran, um, former Champions League winner with Real Madrid, uh, European champion with Portugal. Obviously, he's playing my. He's trying to get in the head of the nineteen year old kid. The kid is giving him a. He's giving him a headache, and he's gonna try to 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 flip the switch on him. Pep goes down, goes down. Portistas and Sportingistas even on the panel shows are saying, "Oh, he did that to avoid the contact." No, I think I think Joan Felix is in complete control of his foot. He brings his foot down before he gets near Pep. He's so that he doesn't stomp on him. He's not about to get himself sent off. Like I said, this kid is has intelligence beyond his years. He's not. He's not a stupid kid by any means. And Pep goes to ground. Whistle blows. He gets up. He chest bumps. João Felix looks him in the face and calls the 19-year-old a filho da puta. You can read his lips, okay? Pardon my language, but you can read his lips. He calls him um filho da puta, okay? Anybody can read it. You don't even have to know Portuguese to, to understand what he said to him. The camera catches it. Apparently, this is not an act of aggression. This is not any kind of retaliation. And the inconsistency would show later in the game. Um, I don't know how Pep escapes this without any kind of talking, without any kind of booking. Referee cowardly brings them both together, talks to them both, gives nothing. I think very easily the the correct call here would have been a yellow for each. If you want to give Felix a yellow for showing his studs, that's fine. Because he did show him. He brought him down before he got near the Pep. But nope, he gives a talking to. That way Pep is free to uh, continue to play his game the way he likes to play it. Continue to play the mind games. And to to kick and step on and pull people. And I can't blame him. That's his game. And when he's wearing a Portugal jersey. Listen, he, when he's on my team and he's wearing a Portugal jersey. I don't get the same rage from I I read tweets where Benfiquistas near and far all over the world said they can't stand him. They don't ever want to see him play for Portugal. They're sick of it. I'm sorry, but that Hero 2016 final that he played still still in my heart. So when Pep is not wearing blue and white, he still has a I still have a soft spot for him. But when he's in blue and white, listen, I want uh, he he's absolutely irritating but that is, that's his job he's the instigator he's the 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 catalyst the agitator and with that we go to halftime and uh we come back from halftime now and you can hear Benfica fans the 2500 of them singing Benfica amor da minha vida that's the one that uh, viral video from Dortmund last year. You hear that. That's the chant you hear at the start of this show over the music. Um, you can hear it loud and clear there in the Dragon. Um, 2,500 fans, like I'm saying, out singing the 48,000 Portistas that are in the stand, roughly 48,000 other people. We go to the 50th minute, and ra- the Benfica start the first five minutes with some trouble. They're they're pinned back a bit. Porto come out well, but um, Benfica having trouble getting out of their end. They're not connecting their passes. Their clearances are going straight to Porto players, and the pressure's coming right back on until the 50th minute where the ball ends up on Rafa. And I said this last week, Rafa does a lot of things for this team, but the most valuable thing he brings 
to his team and to any team. Fernando Santos, are you listening? Fernando Santos, listen here because this is something that when he, the national team lacks when Rafa is not there. He doesn't really, you know, he's not a regular in the national team, but this is something that can be very much lacked when the team is under pressure against strong opposition. This was the best example of what is Rafa's strongest quality, the ability to take the ball in his defensive third and with his speed carry it 70, 60, 70 yards up the pitch. And just like that, the pressure is, is, is relieved. The ball is now in the other team's end. And he does that. He makes a nice run down the side. Nothing materializes from the run here. But again, if you go back to what I said last week, I didn't want to see numbers about Possession without context. Possession is a useless stat. I said this game was going to be about territory. And this play may be the single most important play that was not, a you know, other than the two goals in the match because this established, like I said, it took, it gave the advantage of territory. Took it from Porto and gave it to, to Benfica as the ball's now in Porto's end. And... You know, within the next minute, a poor pass from Pizzi um, into the middle of the park. He makes a poor pass. And he actually received a poor pass. Let me, I'm going to play it again as well here so I can get a better look at it. Um, Pizzi receives a poor pass from Samadish, okay? Um, Samadish had a fantastic game, and maybe his one error here. He PZ surrounded by three Porto players. Go back to Benfica's goal, okay, in the first half. I said that it was, I called it a hospital ball because you're putting your guy in the hospital. You're setting him up to be nailed. So PZ loses it, but uh, in the middle of the park. However, the loose ball gets out there. Gabriel, my man. I talked about him last week. All right. He comes, he comes out of nowhere, and, and he beats Tecatito to the ball. Okay, he, he he wants it more. Corona's kind of shying away from it. Okay, Gabriel wins it with a, with a hard step. He, he gets his leg out and, and his body. He gets body position on Tecatito, and he stands his ground, wins the ball, turns it the other way, finds Felix, okay, Felix, Jean Felix then opens it to Grimaldo. Grimaldo's first attempt to play a diagonal ball back to Felix um, gets broken up, but it's a poor clearance from Philippe. Really lazy. He sticks his leg out. I'm going to play it again here, and I'll tell you exactly. The ball goes diagonal. Felix just, I mean, excuse me, Philippe just sticks his leg up in the air. Doesn't get much on it. Doesn't direct it anywhere. Leaves it there. It finds its way to Rafa. Rafa plays it into Pizzi. Pizzi does a nice, a nice move here. He, he's got two defenders again, but he holds the ball up, letting the two defenders close in on him and putting it between them back onto Rafa's run. Rafa takes a touch and with the right foot slides it to inside the post. Okay, He beats Casillas to Casillas' right on the ground. It's a goal. And now this is the literal Baldiago Fria, the ice bucket on the stadium. Portisha's now, the worry sets in. They're silent. 
the Benfica fans up in the top upper corner where they're st- where they're seated or where they're standing where they're watching the game from going nuts. Rafa celebrates. Benfica are you know he's mobbed by his teammates. Benfica take the lead. In the Stadio de Dragão, they get the Javita Volta going. They've turned the result. Okay. The first thing I did at this point, after I was done cheering, because like I said, I'm watching this game with my father. My my three year old son is there. We're both. My father and I are both <laughs> off. We're we're jumping off the couch, jumping up and down. I look over and I see my three year old jumping up and down. He happy as can be. Loves seeing his uncle and his daddy happy. Uh, and he's saying go. <laughs> and I mean, it's a moment I'll never forget uh, for the rest of my life. Honestly, it's something that hadn't happened yet in my son's life where he he uh, reacted to a goal. He's three years old, you know, and he hears daddy talking about Benfica all the time, and you know he's got some Benfica gear, and it's a word I taught him. One of the first words I taught him was Benfica, and he's. He, just the smile on his face of seeing his father and his grandfather happy and seeing a smile. Benfica have the lead. Uh, Benfica more the minha vida now louder than ever. I mean, it's still going strong. You cannot hear anything else. Um, Porto fans are biting their nails. They can't believe it. Um, but... We head to the 54th, you know, not that long later. And uh, Benfica is really starting to lose the territorial advantage. Now, I don't know if the emotional high of scoring the goal created like a spike that they then came down from. And it was hard to get, I don't know if their heart rates, you know, ex- went so high that it was hard to come back down and to, to, to settle back in. Because from there on, Porto start to... To increase their influence in the match. Um, in the 57th, Porto's got a corner. Alex Telsch um, takes it. And at this point, 57 minutes, 33 minutes to go. A long way to go. Porto fans have woken up. Um, the Porto fans have woken up. They're getting behind their team again. Uh, Benfica take care of the clearance. They win the on the corner kick. However, it, the ball comes out down the right flank to... Uh, a 50-50 with Rafa and and Manafa. Manafa puts Rafa into the LED boards here. Again, of course, uh, no booking. Again, S- uh, Souza doesn't even doesn't even uh, think about going into the book for this one. Rafa's shaking up. He wa- he gets up. He walks it off. In the 58th minute, Samadi slips bad. Uh, he's che- he's coming hard. He's he's checking hard to the. To the play, he takes out Tecatito, uh, takes him out hard. Uh, a good yellow, um, and some say he should have been off at this point for a, an earlier play. Um, given with the way the 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 game was called, uh, that's for me is unrealistic to expect him to do that. But again, what would ensue in reality was also unbelievable. So. Uh, Inconsistency would continue. 60th minute now. And Tikinu Suarez is ready to come in. Uh, Sergio starting to gamble. Sergio starting to worry. He's, he's trying to make changes. He ends up making a double substitution. Okay, he brings in Tikinu for Tecatito. 
And Otavio comes in for Adrian Lopez, the goal scorer. Um, completely changes the, the, the makeup of the team now. Um, Suarez is the... Tikin Suarez, big, strong forward. He's got two twin strikers now, Marega and Tikinu. And um, he brings Otavio into the midfield. He's a midfielder, so he brings him in uh, to be more... He's playing more along... Along... Um, Corona's Corona's uh, role more in midfield, but 66th minute now, Alejandro and Omar from Gold TV mentioned that they see Fernando Santos in the stands and I, I threw this in there because I've always, I have always uh, commented and praised Gold TV for the work they do, the homework they do, and how well they seem to know this league. Here's a rare slur, a slip up from both of these guys. They they start to joke and laugh, saying that you know he's the national team coach, but there's no Portuguese players in the field. What's he doing? Well, clearly that's that's incorrect. If you've been <laughs> as we've been there's no you know we're using a lot of the homegrown players now, and we've got easily the most Portuguese team in the top half of the table. But uh, Porto have zero Portuguese players on the field at this point. <laughs> Not a single one, so that was right. But Benfica, I made a note of it at this point. Ruben Dias, Ferro, André, Almeida, Pizzi, Rafa, and João Felix. And also, also, my man Gabriel is a dual national. He's eligible to play for Portugal, so you can count him as well. Whether or not he's interested is a different story, but he's eligible. Okay, he has a Portuguese passport. He has a Portuguese grandparent, I believe. He is a grandchild of a Portuguese, of a Portuguese expat, a Portuguese-born person. So that that comment I did make a note because I have, in fairness, I have to also point out when when there's something wrong with Gold TV. I've been high on Gold TV. Maybe it's because I understand Spanish, um, so the the language barrier doesn't really do it. It doesn't hurt for me, and I know other people don't. So they prefer to hear the game in Portuguese or in English even. Preferably, this league needs an English language partner. It's ridiculous that this game, that at least these big games are not played you know, on ESPN Plus or at BN Sport or even Gold TV in English. Um, so that there's an English following, you know, an English language following for this league. This is a game that any neutral would have enjoyed. All right, it should have been available to more eyeballs in this country. Um, I think the league really downplays the size of their potential market here in North America because most of us watch it anyway. But I really think they could they could even expand that if they had English language coverage. But back to the game, um, Porto begin to really increase pressure. Set we're in the seventieth now. Benfica is starting to defend with everybody. You start to see it. You can freeze the fr freeze frame it, and you see the four four two now. You see the lines. They kind of look like, you know, the the momentum's completely shifted, and that's that's normal playing on the road against your rival, against a team that matches up with you. Okay, um, against the strongest opponent you're gonna have in this league. It's going to be hard at times to get out of your end. They stayed well organized, okay? Clearly this this team is well coached because they they have gone through this in the training sessions, but 
Benfica's getting having a very hard time getting out of their offensive third, their defensive third. Excuse me now, with no targets to hit up the field because both Felix and Seferovic are so far back now, because Porto are attacking well and they're bringing numbers forward. And that's when Rui Vitor, uh I can't believe I said his name. <laughs> that's when Bruno Leish, uh plays his first his first uh, card. And uh, moves his first chess piece, if you will, as Jetson comes on for Peasy. Peasy, exhausted at this point. He's given everything he's got. Uh, he's played a lot of minutes. Uh, Peasy comes off in the 70th. I like. I I don't mind this this change. I know Jetson out wide. Some people are not a fan of that. Peasy's not really playing out wide. He starts out wide, but he really shows in the middle. Jetson um, brings some energy, some speed. He's got good lungs. He's got the ability to go up and down the pitch. I understand this 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 switch completely, um, rather than bringing in say Florentino, who's more, who may just bring in another six. He may be another six, and then you're creating three center mids. That's not what we were looking for at this point in the game. So, uh, Lige, I think learned from the first loss to Porto that his He made a mistake subbing in that game where he added. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, he added a forward to, and in in the process lost the midfield. So he wasn't going to change the dynamic of the four four two up at this point. Um, it was too soon to do that. He didn't want to lose another area of the field. So he brings in Jetson. Good substitution. Seventy second minute. Samarish makes his play of the game and maybe maybe. Equally as important of a play as Rafa's 70-yard run earlier. Um, the ball comes in from the right side, and Herrera is is, is licking his chops. He's uh, He's got nothing but daylight in front of him. You know, the def the defensive line is, is seven or eight yards in front of him. He's got a clear sight of the goal. He loves that square ball being played back to him. You know, the chistero, like we say in Portuguese square coming on along the ground where all he has to do is put that inside of the foot onto it and, and put it in the goal wherever he wants it. He can see it, but at the last second Samadish makes a brilliant sliding challenge at just the right angle, at just the right time, knocks it away, it goes out for a corner, but what a play from Samadish. Um and at this point you'll notice uh, Philippe is now playing high, and Sergio has sent him forward. He's a big, strong guy. He's playing as a f forward, essentially, um, in the attack now to get another body in the box to get on the end. It's very clear. Porto's going direct now. They're going to try to tie this game up using their size, using their strength, delivering balls into the box. And you can't fault Conceição for this. If that's the players you have, that is how, that is the Porto game. That's the players he's got. That's how they were going to tie this game. They weren't going to tie it ticky-tacking. Okay, um, they're not built that way. So no, f I I don't have any any fault or criticism for Sergio Conceição on that play. Um, you guys, some of you know, you've heard me before. I actually find him to be a very good coach. He's a very different coach from Bruno Lage, but I think in his own way, he's a very good coach. Um, Portistas put some blame on him for some of the decisions in this game, and I, I do as well. It was not Sergio's best performance, best management, but no doubt uh, to me he, he's a good coach, and, and um, 
worthy of uh, accolades and worthy of being called one of the best in this league. But um, that brings us to minute 76, and now the key minute in the game. And uh, again, can't avoid talking about Mr. Georges Souza, the, the referee, or his helpful tool, the video assistant referee, the VAR, and whoever the the referee is in 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 the truck, uh, looking at the footage. It was a the play starts, and I'm gonna watch it again here because I don't want to miss any of the key parts of it. Um, the play starts with let's see here. Starts with with Rafa going wide, okay. So Rafa plays, Rafa turns in the box, uh, just outside the box, and gets an, a shot very similar to the one he scored on, except this one goes just wide, okay. Casillas does a quick restart, and he he finds he finds Otavio, okay. Otavio starts to come out with the ball, and for whatever reason, Gabriel playing high, he is playing a high press, but for whatever reason. Finds the need to, to commit a professional foul right there. Um, not really the worst decision, but I I don't think that the professional foul was necessary there. Benfica's got guys behind the ball. I don't think it was a quick restart, but I think maybe an overreaction to the quick restart. However, however, when he brings down Otavio, Otavio gets gets his own shot in that uh, the referee does see. And I'm going to watch it again so I can break it down exactly for you. There's the shirt pull, and there's a swat from from Otavio. Otavio swats, gets Gabriel with the forearm, and Gabriel loses it. All right? And um, he goes up and gets his... He does put his hands up on on Otavio. But remember what, what, what I said about Pep. In the first half, he also chest bumped João Felix. Okay, he places his hands on Otavio. Maybe he shoved him. Otavio goes down like he's been shot. Okay, Otavio is doing something very intentional here. Okay, and he goes down like a ton of bricks. Um, and no, no surprise. The third man in is the main catalyst of the game again. It's Pep again. He's he's in there. He's got his hands on Gabriel, and he's he's pushing him back away from away from Otavio. And then you know the two sets the two teams just end up in a melee. And with within seconds, right in front of Jorge Souza, as the players are kind of pulling each other apart. Ruben Diaz goes in there, and Brahimi open hand smacks Ruben Diaz on the neck. Okay, the, right where the neck meets the back of your head under your ear. Okay, he smacks him. George Souza does nothing. He does nothing about that. Okay, he does nothing about the simulation by Otavio either. Okay, he calls Otavio and Gabriel in, and you can read his body language. He he gives Otavio his yellow card, okay, and then he gives Gabriel his. Does the signal with his hands, tugs on his own shirt to show him this is for the shirt pull, and then he gives him another yellow, a double yellow. I 
I couldn't find anyone all week who's ever seen a double yellow before. Not saying it was wrong. This may not have been wrong. Maybe this is the one call that George Sosa got right. Okay, because yes, Gabriel reacted in a way he shouldn't have. However, completely inconsistent with how he's been handling the match up until now. Okay, he decides that now is the time that he's going to call a retaliation. Okay, so he gives he gives Otavio a yellow for his forearm, but not one for going down like a ton of bricks. Yet he and he gives a double yellow to Gabriel. Gabriel is off. And I'm saying to myself, here we go again. Here we go again. It wasn't enough that we have seen this for years and years. And again, it's not the double yellow. Okay? I can understand that. It's the lack of consistency throughout the rest of the match. He had not given a yellow for a push or a chest bump or a retaliation or trash talking. He didn't give a yellow for for Pep calling calling João Felix what he called him, but now he gives a yellow. Is it because of the, the acting? Because if that's the case, then you're encouraging the acting. He gives the double yellow. Gabriel is off, ruins what may have been a man of the match performance. Gabriel was awesome in this game again, okay? He was awesome, but this, he let his emotions get the best of him here, and he was given his marching orders. And, of course, right away, you know, Otavius, so, <laughs> he was so shook from being, from being knocked down that he starts with a sarcastic clap. Another, another act that is dissent, okay? Another thing that, it's dissent and it's taunting, and by the laws of the game, can also be an ungentlemanly-like conduct and a yellow card. Of course, George Souza does not do that, does not show that. Otavius shows that basically this is this is what he is as a player. He is an uh, an antagonist, he's an agitator and he's got little other role in this club, okay? He's he is not really at the level of football club Porto big games in my opinion. He comes into this game and the best he can do is get somebody sent off. So that's the type of player he is. And you know, he, he is a Vitoria Guimarães type of player. He's, for me, not a Football Club de Porto type of player. And he had a chance minutes later, you know, to, to put the game away. A lousy header. And uh, fortunately for us, it went to him. He's not very good at that either. And uh, the ball, you know, does not go in the goal. We hold on to our lead. But now the question starts, what is Lige going to do? It's, the 70, it's 77 minutes into the game, there's 13 minutes plus stoppage to survive down a man. What is what is Lige gonna do? Okay. Um, again, Brahimi open-handed sl- slap. Nothing done. There's no way he missed it. It was right in front of him. Okay. And from what I understand, this is not reviewable by the VAR unless the VAR tells him to watch something. That's not gonna happen in Porto. Okay, like I said, it's the VAP, it's not the VAR. And, uh, well, Befica now have their hands full. They got 13 minutes to go, and they're down to 10 men. And everybody quickly, and myself included, my first reaction is, oh, let's bring in Florentino. You know, let's strengthen that midfield. But uh, he doesn't do that. What? 
What happens instead is João Félix takes the role over on the right side of midfield. Jetson slides central to play in Gabriel's role, which is a like-for-like change, okay? And uh, Samadish continues in his place, okay? And on the left, you still have Rafa. And instead, you have the game... You know, gets it still it settles down a little bit, but Philippe gets a yellow card now and then in the in the seventy ninth minute, and you have Sergio Cosisson now playing his final piece. All right, um, he's he's bringing in Danilo Pereira for Oliver Torres. Oliver Torres, I talked about last week. <laughs> Homeboy went missing this week. All right, he's on the milk carton right now, missing. They don't know where he is. Um, Aside from getting the ball on that first goal and stealing it, so I guess you can't say he went. He went missing after that play, after he took after he took the ball, dispossessed Rafa in the first half, leading to Brahimi's run into towards goal, which led to the free kick, which in, ended up being Porto's goal. Oliver was was missing the rest of the of the game. He brings in Danilo. My thoughts on this: at first, it, lo- it doesn't seem to make sense. You'd think he'd bring in a more attack-minded player, but Danilo again is. Think of how Porto want to score. They're big. They're strong. They want to play direct. They want to put balls in the box. Danilo's got good size. Danilo's a big boy. And we did see him get on the He was way offside on it. But we did see him get on the end of a ball in the box that Vlakudimish saved. The offside was called anyway. That came a few minutes later. But um, Danilo comes in. I That's my... That's the way I'm reading that substitution. All right. Um... In the 82nd minute, Danilo's right-footed shot from outside the box is saved in the bottom right corner by Odi. Uh, in the 82nd minute, a foul by Samadish. Okay, um, and, and Octavio wins a free kick in his defensive half. In the 83rd, Herrera's left-footed shot is blocked on the right side of the box. That ball and uh, that was blocked on a pass from Marega. 83rd still, um, Porto with the corner that was conceded by Odi. Odisei is Vlakodimus. 83rd, Philippe hits the ball. This was the dangerous play here in the 83rd. Philippe hits the bar with a header from the center of the box. Alex Telj with the cross. This was this was the one I hold my I held my breath on. I thought this thing was going in, and I said, there it is. Um... There goes there goes the three points, but the bar saved us on that one. Um, on the 84th, Samardis will win a free kick in the defensive half on a foul from Otavio. 85th minute, João Félix takes the ball and wins a free kick in the defensive half. Félix, like I said, now playing as an outside mid, really, really assisting defensively. And it'll take us into the 80. Seventh minute, where Korshia comes in. This is an interesting substitution. Okay, uh, Rafa comes out the left-sided midfielder. Korshia comes in, and it changes the dynamic, changes the shape of the team a bit. Gigaste é o quê? É o agarrar, é o agarrar, 
na parte posterior da coxa. Jogadora de gagas à parte posterior da coxa. E não foi, não foi o caso. Mas acontece um salto. E estes situações podem acontecer. Há uma, há, uma, há uma bomba que disputa no ar e há um pé que, que chega primeiro ao chão. E aí há um, pode haver um toque no ator ou não. Por isso, perceber muito bem que a tipo de é que foi. Não foi numa corrida, vocês já viram isso várias vezes, em que se sente que... Hum, Vou ser muito claro convosco. Se sentisse que, que o Stefan, porque nós jogámos no sábado e temos dias, uh, tivemos perfeitamente dias suficientes, ele teve e toda a equipa teve dias suficientes para fazer uma, uma ótima recuperação, se eu sentisse que ele estivesse em risco, ele não estaria no 11. Por isso, é perceber muito bem, primeiro, uh, a lesão dele, não foi de, de estar em risco, porque em risco eventualmente seria uma, uma, uma outra lesão, foi feito num salto em que chega com, com um apoio ao chão e que, que sentiu ali uma pequena dor. Vai sair, vai ser avaliado e depois, em função disso, uh, tomaremos as nossas, as nossas, as nossas decisões. Uh, mas antes de tomar as nossas decisões, temos de perceber muito bem aquilo que é, que é o, é o Bolonenses. Depois, em função disso, definir uma estratégia boa que nos permita continuar uh, nesta caminhada do campeonato em que estamos em primeiro e queremos continuar. And so, in the 87th minute... Like we said, this substitution is is key, and for me, this is uh, this was maybe his best move of the game because um, again, everyone's thinking it's time to bring in, time to bring in Florentino because we don't have, we don't have any more center backs. You know, naturally, you want to put a center back. Well, Bruno Lage decides to go with Corsia. Corsia goes over and plays his normal right back position. And what this ha what happens now is it slides. Andre Almeida central. So now we're playing with three central defenders: Andres, Andre Almeida, Ruben Dias, and Ferro. Okay, those are the three center backs. Grimaldo's playing left back. Corsia right back. Three mid midfielders now. Okay, you got Samaris, Jetson, and João Felix playing as three center mids, and just Seferovic up top by himself, a very tired Seferovic at this point, and um, at that point, Benfica, you know, looks set to hang on, but again, this is the Stadio do Dragão, and in the 90th minute, we see the final substitution where João Félix comes off for Franco Cervi, um, and little surprising there, but I understand that also because I think Chervi's going in for his his uh, dribbling ability and his ability to hold on to the ball. I think that's why it's not Florentino in this in this situation, where Florentino sounds like the right decision from a defensive standpoint. I think with seconds left, you're looking for a guy to hold the ball and to keep it and to maybe draw a foul even to, to get play out of there and that's my my best guess as to why Servi came in Chervi um in the 90th plus one an attempt was missed Tikini Suarez with a right footed shot from outside the box it was too high um and then another <laughs> you know again maybe I'm just scarred from years of of watching Befica lose in that stadium or in the, that stadium's predecessor and seeing shoddy refereeing, but um, a clear botched call here. Jetson heads the ball out cleanly 
excuse me, no, Jetson clears it with his foot, not not heads it. Um, he the ball is you know Jetson goes up and he wins the ball with his foot and plays it out. And you and guess who is in the middle of the play again? It is Pep once again with his head down. I mean he's he's lowering his head. You know to waste waste height. He knows what he's doing. He's an experienced player. Okay. He may be a player who has a temper or who can be poorly disciplined, but he is a very intelligent player, and he drops his head down knowing that there... And wouldn't you know, the referee falls for it, and we got, in the 90th plus 3, a free kick right on the edge of Benfica's box, and the camera shows the Porto fans biting their nails. I could hardly watch at this point. Um, I had my hands in my head because I just, I had the worst feeling something was going to happen here that I didn't want to see. Thankfully, Telge's free kick is blocked outside the box. The ball is cleared. And George Souza blows the final whistle. And Benfica have won at the Stadio do Dragon despite everything, despite all of the, the scandal, despite all of the polemica. Um, Befica survive uh, checkmate, if you will, checkmate um, for Bruno Lage. He wins the chess match over Sergio Conceição. I was going to get into this, but we've already been going for a long time tonight. Uh, that was an hour just on this game. Um, I recommend going over to the Azagish podcast, okay? If you understand Portuguese, they had a great bilingual conversation with Bruno the Portista um, about Sergio Conceição. I was going to give my my take on Sergio tonight. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you guys go. go. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Okay, they did a great job. They, they broke it down and they talked about uh, Sergio and uh, his behavior him not shaking Jean Felix's hand after the match. I'm going to stay away from that. I was going to say something, but I've decided I'm going to stay away from that. I'm gonna, they did such a good job on that. I'm going to have everyone that's listening right now, if you haven't heard them, go to their show, listen to them. They did a great job, okay? Um, the match is over. Benfica win. 2-1. Uh, to one. And my dad switches on to Sport TV on his, on his uh, fire stick. Man, absolute garbage post game. The three of them are sitting in the damn VAR booth, and there's no analysis. All they're doing is going over the VAR decision in the goal. I understand that is where I finally saw that Marega touched the ball, and they admitted that Marega touched the ball on that goal, which should have made Pep offside. But and again, well, I can't stand it. They quickly find a way to defend the referee. They twist and they turn it. And they say things so that it backs up their perspective. And um, really poor coverage on what was an awesome match. A fantastic match. Both teams played, I thought, well. Um, I thought Brunelage had a little bit better of the coaching. And um, part of that was because he had the lead in the key moments of the game. Um, some Portistas have been very critical of Sergio Conceição. The thing I'm reading and hearing is that he knew Benfica's 11 and he didn't even know his own. Fairness, it's it was going to be... He had more 
<laughs> available choices at his disposal. He's in it more opportunity to make a mistake. Maybe he got it wrong. I think where he's getting it wrong, and this is all I'm going to talk about them, and Porto fans are quick to downplay this, but it is clear as day to me, and I'm not the first person saying it. Neutrals, um, even Sportingistas, who are not neutral in, in, in this rivalry at all, um, they see it. Porto had the best team Hands down, they had the best back four, hands down, at the start of January. They didn't need an upgrade. Pep became available and they brought him in. Okay? He's not at fault for this. Okay? Pep is at fault for a lot of things. He is not at fault for coming back to his club and for being slotted right into the starting lineup where he probably is not... And I've heard, oh, he's experienced, oh, he's perfect, he's a Porto guy, he knows how to play these derbies. Come on. This is a, these are professionals. They all know how to play these derbies at this level. You have to put your best 11 on the field. I don't even think this is Sergio's decision. I think George Mendes is in, in, has made this, along with Pete Costa, and it's been agreed that, for Pep to go to Porto, Pep is the starting central defender because Militon has been absolutely outcast. And don't tell me he was suspended and, oh, it's because of his, his nightlife that he's moved to the... If they're going to punish him for his nightlife, he wouldn't be on the bench. He was he, he clearly became the third central defender because, for whatever reason, Pep comes into the team, Pep has to play, and the team went from a, a seven-point lead to now a two-point deficit in the time that this man has returned to the team. And it's not all his fault, but he sh I mean, come on. It, it's all in front of us. Um, this was a team that did not need an upgrade in that position. Um, they got one anyway. They they played around. The, you know the old saying, don't broke if it ain't... Don't fix what ain't broke. It wasn't broke. They decided to upgrade and now they find themselves in second place. I'm going to go down the standings and uh, so here we go. After 24 rounds Benfica in first place now with 59 points. Porto second with 57. Braga 52 in third. Sporting hot on their trail in fourth with 49 and then there's a little bit of a gap and we got the surprise team of the season Morenes in fifth with 42 points Vitori Guimarães sixth on 39 Bulenes Sad our next opponent um seventh with 36 and then we got Santa Clara with 31 in eighth Rioav 29 points ninth place a point behind with 28 is Portimonense in tenth Boavista is two back of them Along with Nacional, they each have 26 for 11th and 12th. Avges 13th with 25. Vitoria Stubal on 24 is in 14th. And Maritimu also with 24 and 15th. And uh, I'm a little confused because it's showing three teams in the relegation zone. Um, but the second division shows two teams in the promotion zone. Uh, so I'm not going to misspeak. I'm not sure if Tundela right now are in the relegation zone. But they're 16th with 23 points. And definitely right now going 
you know, in the relegation zone. Shavs has 17 and Ferenc with 14. So Ferenc looks like a pretty much guarantee to go down at this point. Seven points back with 10 games to go. When you have 14 points, it's hard to believe that you're going to make up uh, that you're going to make up seven points. That's half of the points you have, although anybody's capable of putting together a run and a string of results. So we'll see what happens. But right now, according to, to the standings I'm seeing, Tondela also below the line. But they have the snack for, for staving off relegation on the last day. All right, I'm not going to waste any more time. We're going to go right into um, reaction from... The Europa League, okay, I'm going to play a little bit for you here, okay, and then I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to keep it to one or two points, because again, I didn't see the game, um, I was in the office, and not a, not on Bleacher Report watching, I haven't had a chance to see the game, I'm going off what I've read, and what I've seen in coverage, but um, I do have some thoughts on where to go going forward and what uh, the fallout means for Benfica so uh, sit right there I'm gonna play a little soundbite from Bruno Lage after yesterday's 1-0 defeat in Croatia and so what you heard there was Bruno Lage in his post-game press conference in Croatia yesterday um talking about Seferovic's injury I'll paraphrase it um I'll translate it as best I can with the paraphrasing. Some of the uh, anatomy he <laughs> he uses I'm not as familiar with. Um, I don't want to misspeak. I'm not sure if he said it was the adductor, A-D-D-U-C-T-O-R, or the abductor, A-B-D-U-C-T-O-R, uh, muscle. That, But he basically was asked if this was a... An injury due to tschgasht, or uh, in English, that's uh, to fatigue. Okay, um, he says no. He he explains that when it's a fatigue injury, he explains where the injury is, and he says it's on you know the backside of the muscles essentially. And um, he said it, uh, he used the word akosha. Akosha is the the thigh, and he said that it's not. You know, it, that's not where the injury is. He's, he said his injury was due to dest lack of stable stability. He said he landed awkward and um, his support leg uh, landed funny and that caused the muscle to be destabilized. And the injury is a groin injury and it's already uh, been been reported he's going to miss the, the game against Bolognese Saad. Or as the guys at Benfica FM are calling them, Cork City. <laughs> I think you might see Linusad become Red Bull Portugal someday. Or Red Bull Lisboa or something along those lines. I wouldn't be surprised if that's, if, if, uh, if a uh, conglomerate or uh, like that moves in and takes over Linusad and purchases the Sad from them. Since uh, Linus are a team with, with no... <laughs> Really, no club, no no logo. They don't have a stadium. They don't have fans. However, they do have a coach by the name of Silas who's doing a great job. And uh, got him in seventh place. But I digress. Let, I'll get back to uh, the, the Seferovic injury. 
So Bruno Lage is saying this is not due to wear, not due to fatigue. He's saying it's due to an awkward landing. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physio. Uh, maybe if one of you are, you can tweet at me, at Benfica Mister, or you can uh, DM me on on Instagram, at MAugustino20, or hit me up on Facebook, Mike Augustino, and or at the Mr. Benfica pay, Facebook, obviously, um, and let me know exactly if that makes any sense. If you speak Portuguese, even better, because you can understand what he's saying. And tell me if he's if he's making sense or if he's misinformed on the on the issue. But um, he's saying it's not a wear and tear injury. Seferovic has played a lot of minutes. Um, he works very. He's worked very hard under Bruno Lage. Um I hope it's 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 only a game or two. I don't. I hope this isn't an injury that lingers for the rest of the season. The groin is a very very difficult injury to recover from, depending to what degree he's injured. Um, perhaps he was pulled out immediately as a precaution. However, with him missing the next game, there has to be a little more degree of injury than that. Um, my thoughts on the Europa League, as I said earlier, I asked, um, the question if it put a damper. It did not for me because first I believe that we are more than capable of putting out, even without, you know, a full strength lineup, putting out a lineup that will, will get the result done at home next Thursday and put us through to the quarterfinals. And I know a lot of fans want to see Benfica win win or at least advance as far as possible in this Europa League. The fan in me wants to see them win the Europa League. Of course, it's been um, generations since we won a European title. Um, we've been to plenty of finals. Um, we've all seen it. We all remember the two finals uh, they lost. And that loss, believe it or not, the previous, the most recent loss before yesterday in the Europa League for Portugal goes all the way back to their loss to Chelsea in the final. Uh, whichever year that was, at the Amsterdam Arena. Uh, because, remember, against Sevilla in Turin, in Torino, uh, in Torino <laughs> at, the Ju at the Juventus Arena, they um, it was a draw, and they lost on penalties. That doesn't go in the record book as a loss. So uh, their last loss in the Europa League before this was the final that they lost in the 92nd minute to Chelsea on a goal from... If I, not mistaken, Ivanovic, late, it was 1-1, headed for extra time, and Ivanovic scored past Artur to lift the Europa League trophy. Um, the fan in me wants to see that the coach in me, and I'm supposed to be bringing you, the whole premise of this show is to bring you the perspective of the coach. I don't have, I wouldn't mind Putting the a part of me wants him to just put the entire B team on the field next Thursday, let them, you know, have a moment, and if they pull us out of it in advance, then so be it. Um, I won't lose sleep if we get knocked out. I'm going to be f frankly honest with you guys, especially from the Mister perspective, the perspective of the Mister. It's a lot of matches to play. There are ten, ten. Matches still in the league. There's a long way to go. I know injuries can happen uh, anywhere, but the fewer matches you play, the f smaller the chance of injury. Um, 
I'm very concerned about our depth. We don't have another forward. Zagomj is not ready to come into the national team, into the first team. The B team hasn't scored a goal in a while. They, you know, and the guys on Befica after 90 pointed out that since Bruno Lage left, that they've dropped points. They've also lost Florentino Luiz. They've also lost Jota. They have lost, um, they have lost, Keaton Parks has gone to New York City FC. That, that was their midfield, Florentino and, and Parks, you know, um, a lot of times we're pairing up in, in midfield uh, or switching off for each other. So they've lost both of those guys. They have lost Ferru. All right. Um, so, I mean, they've lost some players. And they the goals were coming from Jota. Um, they've also, Tiago Dantas has gone, I believe, I could be wrong, but they have shifted some players also to the U23s because the U23s are now in the final stage of the season. They're in the championship stage. Um, also, the U19s, the juniors have also recalled some of the B players because they are in the championship phase of their season as well. So part of the reason the B team has slid is due to shuffling around the rosters as well. And for the model to work, for players to keep coming through, the you know players have to move around to open up space for more players. But the point is, I we're so thin on strikers. I wish we had either Castillo or Fajeda now, especially because Fajeda, Fajeda came from a four-four-two style, and I know uh, he, I don't think he took on with well with with. Um, Bruno Lage, I don't think he was willing to. I don't think either one of those guys were willing to work as hard as Bruno Lage demands of his players, and that's why they're gone. But I don't know if Jota can 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 be that. At this point, we don't have a choice. It's either Jota or Jonas to start with João Felix, and um, it's going to be Jonas, obviously. But if something were to happen, I think you're going to have to see the two kids play up there together, or he'll bring on Servi. I know. A lot of guys are down on Servi right now. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully nobody else gets hurt. Hopefully Seferovic is back sooner rather than later because I don't know how many 90-minute games Jonas's back has in it. I mean, the guy doesn't travel. Jonas does not travel with the team. He, I've heard he takes a car to away games rather than go on the bus. Just It's the, the same treatment Julius Cesar had when he was at the end of his run with Benfica because uh, the travel is so uncomfortable for him. That's why Jonas, I believe, does not travel in the Europa League. Um, I think Thursday is the right time for, for Jota to get a start. Um, at home, at the Stadio de Luz, um, yes, it's a big game, but I, at home in front of his fans, I think he's gonna. the The conditions are better for him to to move in as a starter, and uh, hopefully, João Felix keeps going strong. But I'm very concerned about the health of this team, and the Europa League does add stress in in that respect. But <laughs> I'm. Like everybody else that I've heard, I'm very, very confident that Benfica are going to turn the tie around and, and still advance to the quarterfinals. Um, hopefully they'll get healthier as we get there. Porto are through to the quarterfinals in the Champions League. Um, I had said last week that I hope that they advance, and wouldn't you guys know it? Um, 
the old uh, VAP came in handy for Porto in that game against Roma. Uh, Roma feels they should have had a penalty kick in that second uh, extra time. From the short glimpse I got of it, I would agree with them. Uh, their American owner, James Pallotta, has basically said they were screwed. He's gone to the press and said that Roma was screwed. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm happy Porto have two extra games. That's that's really what I wanted. I wasn't rooting for them per se. I was rooting uh, for us by hoping that they, they have more games. But, yeah, I mean... The Europa League has very little reward. All right, I know for us fans it means a lot. For the club, it has a very small. The financial reward is small. Um, the wear on the team is is big. It is big, um, potentially damaging. I think back to JJ's time, that first run to the Champions League, I think cost us the title that year. If you remember, uh, the first. Not the Champions League, sorry. The Europa League final, where we lost to Chelsea. That really... Um, those extra games playing these Thursday-Monday games are just brutal. Um, without the depth. And you saw what happened. We we blew a four-point lead in the last three weeks of the season. And I think fatigue was part of that. Um, maybe I'm being overly cynical. Maybe it's, uh, you know... Everything you know, perspective is always. Uh, what is the word? Hindsight is always fifty-fifty. That's or twenty-twenty. Hindsight is always twenty-twenty. Is the is the phrase? So looking back at that year, maybe maybe if we were out of the Europa League, we would have held on to that title, and we would have had the Penta. Who knows? Who knows how history would have played out? We don't know. So there's no point in saying that. But um, I'm concerned. I am concerned, but I am confident that we're going to get the three points Monday night at home against Bulanich Sad. Um, they're a tough team, but they're playing well. But uh, they're at home, in front of our fans, I think we'll have a huge crowd again. Like I said, they have little to no support. They have no fans. The The real Bulanich, like I said last week, plays in the street Lisboa, in the very bottom league in the country. Um, or bottom level, I should say. And all the Bulanish fans support them. They play their games in their stadium at that level. This is not Bulanish. This is a team that stuck with the name for now. But uh, I won't be surprised if this this Saad eventually either folds or is, like I said, taken up by a Red Bull or someone like that that wants to invest in Portuguese football because it'll be a big investment, but they'll need a home. They'll need a, uh, well, Red Bull teams don't necessarily have fan bases. When they took over uh, RB Leipzig, there was no fan base. There was no stadium. They built all that there. If they have any interest in adding, you know, another feeder team in Portugal, who knows, maybe it could be uh, Bolinas and, uh, this Bolinish, Bolinish Sad, and I'm sure if they came in with the money that this Bolinish, the Sad of this Bolinish, the Sociedad Autónoma Desportiva, the uh, basically the owners of the club, will um, would probably be be happy to sell. But um, 
I think we, we've we've gone over a lot. There was a lot in this game. I know I didn't hit much on the Europa League. We'll talk about that next week for sure. Um, next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time here in the United States. Um, you will hopefully see that game. Um, I know Breacher Report Live has it. Hopefully Univision might pick it up this time. We'll see. Um, I'd like to see it and see who plays. See who plays. It's uh, the team is getting thin, but I one game at a time. You know, if there's one thing Bruno Leich has uh, reminded us of and has been very successful in, it is uh, keeping this thing one game at a time. And I think that Bolinas Sad will be well studied, and the boy the boys will be prepared for that match Monday night. And I think they'll be prepared for the for the Thursday night second leg as well. Then after that, the following Monday is a game that has me very nervous. Uh, uh, on the road at Morirens, at a stadium where we've had trouble before, a small field. You know, those fields up in the north can be small. Uh, I'm sure we'll make a mini Stadio de Luz up there. But uh, who knows what kind of shenanigans might get pulled. Um, who knows if they'll, they'll ban red jerseys or if they'll, uh, you know, not allow Befica garb into the stadium we'll have to wait and see but i think that's it for tonight guys we got this done two minutes before midnight um i hope you all enjoyed the show i know it ran long um i promise i'm gonna start getting these down but there was so much to hit on in this game um also a big announcement mr Befica is now available on podbean so if you're still with me if you're still listening to, at this point and you prefer to use podbean find me on podbean now okay mr Befica. and for those of you waiting for the debut episode of the parking the bus podcast i have recorded it i have not released it yet uh i'm using a different program to record than i use for this podcast so i it's going to require some editing. I'm going to do that over this weekend and hopefully have that out by Saturday or Sunday. And I hope you guys like it. And uh, if you guys have any questions, again, hit me up on Twitter at Benfica Mister or Instagram at MAGUSTINU20. That's at M-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O-2-0. On Facebook, Mr. Benfica, just search for it. You'll bring it up. Or you can find me personally on Facebook, uh, Mike Agostino. That's M-I-K-E space A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. I'm the one from Massachusetts. There's another one (laughs) there from upstate New York. Uh, And probably a few others, but make sure you select the one. Uh, I'm... I'm the one with the black and white profile picture right now. So uh, feel free to hit me up if you have any thoughts, um, any questions, any uh, feedback. I- I'm open to all of it. I hope you liked the this episode. Um, I hope that uh, you're still with me, that you're still awake here. I know it's a long episode. Uh, I went on quite a bit, but like I said, there was a lot to cover. And I wanted. I feel like I really gave some of the mo- really more in-depth um technical and tactical analysis on the key moments of the the match with Porto. Again, I hope you guys like it. Um, And make sure to check out all the other Benfica uh, stuff that's out there. Benfica podcast. Alfredo and Cristiano do a great job. Simply Benfica. João is is awesome. It's in Portuguese. Uh, Azagias, Cynthia, Carol, uh, Mariana, and usually a guest as well, 
check them out. Again, they were phenomenal last weekend. Um, Benfica after 90, Mario, Alex, Dylan, check them out, okay? Check out Brian on on YouTube also. It's Benfica in 10, okay? Um, he's got a show there, a YouTube show where he breaks down the game in 10 minutes or less. Uh, it's a talent I haven't mastered yet as my I can't keep these pods under under 90 minutes. So uh, kudos to Brian there. Um, so many other projects. Just search them. Get them out there. Um, also, Benfica Independent. It's a website. Check it out. That's Benfica, and then it's the word independent, but in Portuguese, so with an E on the end, BenficaIndependent.com. Okay, check it out. There's tons of stuff there. Uh, there's English, there's French, there's German, Portuguese. I believe there's all kinds of Benfica coverage in different languages. Uh, when you have some free time, check it out. It's a real good project. Get behind it. Benfica FEM, also get behind. Listen to that if you understand Portuguese. They have good analysis, great guests. Um, also, Conversas a Benfica, Cassette Vermelha. There, there's a lot of stuff out there. Dabble around, get it, get you hold, get a hold of it. If you've got some some platform, if you've got a blog, a podcast, a a YouTube series, you want me to plug on this show, please just 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 hit me up. All right, on Twitter, hit me on on Facebook, on Instagram. Just say hey, check this out. If you don't mind, give me a, a plug on your show. I'll be more than happy to do it. I'm all about Benfica. I'm all about this community of Benfica. <laughs> Benfica content creators is just overwhelmingly uh, welcoming and overwhelmingly supportive. So I want to support everyone as well. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. We will see you back here next week, okay? Next Friday night, I'll be in this seat again recording this. Um, so early next Saturday morning, you can expect it wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you've been getting it, okay? We're now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. Um, Spotify, Breaker, <laughs> um, Google Podcasts. We're in a we're on ten platforms now. So also available on Anchor. FM. Um, you can find us there as well. It, this is an Anchor produced podcast, um, as you heard in the ad. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Força Benfica, carrega Benfica, damo 37. Peace out, everybody.